How you guys doing tonight? Woo! Cool. You know, it's I'm glad to be back up here in front of everyone because I, I think the Lord has given me a message for y'all. Uh, but I have to say, after all this time of speaking into a camera over the past couple months, it's a little weird. But I'm glad to be here with you guys. So we've been talking about this idea of going through a desert with Jesus, right? Has it? Have y'all been getting good stuff from this? I know I have. I've been getting kicked in the face. Um, so so here, here's a cool picture. I took this in Egypt. I uh, had the privilege of going there. And that is at the edge of the oldest pyramids in Cairo, looking out onto the Sahara, Sahara Desert. Yeah, Sahara. And uh, yeah, how does, how does that look like fun to walk across, right? You guys want to go there? You like sand that much, huh? So when you look out onto the desert from the edge of civilization, and the, the pyramids are still even like, right? Like you look out and then there's sand between you and the city. You're already kind of out there. You have to ask yourself, why would anyone want to go there? Why would you want to go there? There's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Like, I mean, you see some power lines in the back. I don't know where they go to. So, you know, some guy has to go out there every once in a while. I'm sure he hates it. So why would you want to leave the comfort and good living of civilization and wander out into an unknown scary place so we're going through exodus right this whole idea of the hebrews leaving egypt going to the promised land they have to go through the desert and so we're gonna we're gonna go through exodus 12 tonight verse 37 then the children of israel journeyed from ramses to succoth about six hundred thousand men on foot besides children a mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds a great deal of livestock and they baked unleavened cakes of dough which they had brought out of egypt for it was not leavened because they were driven out of egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared provisions for themselves now the sojourn of the children of israel who lived in egypt was 430 years that means they were in egypt for 430 years and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. And then skipping to verse 51, and it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So a little bit of background of the Hebrews in Egypt. If you, if you don't know the biblical story, they ended up in Egypt because that 430 years ago there was a famine and Joseph had been sold into slavery, sent to Egypt, and the Lord used him there to basically save the future Israelites, the Hebrews, from this famine. And they settled there. So they've been there for this long. And then a Pharaoh came along that did not remember the favor that Joseph had with the people. And he put all the Israelites into slavery. If you guys have ever seen Prince of Egypt, awesome movie. Awesome movie. You need to see Prince of Egypt. Doesn't exactly follow the biblical story, but it gets the point through and it's got some killer singing. So, so the, the Lord said, hey, I'm going to send you back to the promised land, the land that was of your fathers. That's where I want you to be. And this Pharaoh's like, no, you're my, you're my free labor. I'm not letting you go. And so I, I, I imagine every one of you knows that the Lord sent plagues upon the Egyptians. Like, and then one of the scariest ones, I think, for me is, is this. It's fire raining down from heaven. Right? If, if a man came and said, hey, if you don't let us go, fire's going to rain down from heaven. Okay, whatever. And then you walk out your front door the next day and you see fire raining down from heaven. I think you have some things to rethink in your life. 
right? Um, but anyway, eventually they left. And, and so this idea that we want to talk about tonight is these Hebrews, even though they were in slavery, they had to leave civilization and go through a desert to get to where the Lord had promised them. And even more, it was a very small thing, a very small thing barely mentioned. In verse 38, it said, a mixed multitude went with them also. That could be, right, that guy that walked out his front door and he sees fire coming down. He's like, maybe these people are onto something. Maybe, you know, my gods, they've never rained fire down from heaven. Maybe they're onto something. And so these, we don't know exactly who it is or how many it is. It just said a mixed multitude. It might have even been people from other nations that happened to be in Egypt. But they decided to go with the Hebrews out into the desert, to this promised land that they had no idea what it was. But they saw that this God had power. So here's, here's this map. Of, there's two theories. Can you guys see that okay? Uh, there's a little black dotted line, and that's where a lot of people think the Hebrews went. But I, this doesn't really matter. It's just a cool, interesting fact. I think they actually went along that red path, and I think Mount Sinai is actually in Saudi Arabia. Cool little thing. You can look it up on your own. Um, but that path, if you take it efficiently, and this is walking about six hours a day, it should take about a month, more or less. Maybe a little bit more because they had a whole bunch of people going with them, but it should take about a month. But so we're talking about conversion tonight. We're talking about conversion. Conversion literally means to turn a different way. These Hebrews wanted to leave the land of slavery and literally turn a different way to go to the promised land. And the other people that went with them wanted to turn away from their false gods and follow this God that they realized was the God of reality and the God of power. So a little, little thing here, if, if no one's ever told you this, um, whenever someone is speaking and they give you scripture, you always need to go and study it on your own. So we're going to have a lot of scripture tonight. Don't believe me flat out. I want you any scripture you write down because we're only going to go by a single verse at a time here. It gets scary when people pull verses out of context, so don't believe me right out. I challenge you to go, every scripture I, I say, go and check if it actually is what I'm saying. And you need to do that for everyone. But so here we go. To, to be a convert of Jesus, to be a convert of the Lord, we're going to go through some things that you have to do that the, these Hebrews had to do, these mixed multitudes had to do. First, you have to decide that the gospel is truth. You have to decide what this God is saying is true. And we believe that the Lord gave us this book called the Bible so that we can learn how to come to him, to learn who he is. And why would you follow him? Why would you want to get to know him if right off the bat you didn't think what it is? Right? So in Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right, so to first, it should be very obvious to first even have a chance of becoming a Christian, becoming a follower, really of anything, is that you have to believe what is said about the thing. Very, very obvious, basic logic. You can't follow something if you don't think it's real or true. In John 20, verse 27, it says, "Then he said to Thomas." So this is after Jesus has resurrected, right? And I believe, I believe Stephen mentioned it last week. Am I right, Stephen? Stephen, okay, he's. He's just nodding. Yeah, so Thomas, if you remember the story, he was doubting that the other disciples saw Jesus raise again. Jesus comes up to Thomas right when he revisits them. He's like, hey, 
put your hand in my side, put your fingers in my hand, right? So Jesus says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing, right? Jesus came, first step, very first obvious step, we have to believe it. Uh, we have a saying, I don't know if you've heard this, hopefully if your small group leader is worth their salt, which we know they all are, and if they're not, it's probably my fault actually. Uh, we say major in the majors, minor in the minors. So a minor thing, I believe, is, and we see people argue about this all the time, and it's really sad, is when someone wants to get baptized, do they have to get dunked under the water, or is it okay to pour some water on their head? And people will kill each other over this. We say that's a minor thing, right? I don't think that's the biggest issue. If that's, if that's your biggest issue in your walk with Jesus, you've got some issues. A major thing, a major thing is, did Jesus die on the cross for our sins? Did Jesus rise again? Right? Yes, he did. So there are certain things that the Bible is very clear about who God is. And we have to believe those things that he says of himself. Otherwise, you're believing a different God. Right? Very first thing, to, to be a convert of Jesus, to follow Jesus, you have to believe who he says he is. You don't change anything. You don't remove anything. You don't add anything. So there's some things that when you believe it's there's facts of mind. And if I can use this phrase, sounds weird to me, but it's the best I could do There's facts of the heart. Fact of a mind would be um, just things that are very obvious. This is a cup that holds water in it. You can believe me, it's water. That's you can come and look at it. Yes, your mind knows, right? If this is all you have, then you are a you can your options are you're a Pharisee which in modern times, uh, forgive me if, if I offend anyone, but I use this word church kid. I wasn't raised in the church, but I have Daniel. Daniel, my good friend, is raised in the church, and he, can, he tells me this is my attitude before he actually met Jesus, right? This legalistic, or you can be a terrorist. If you only have these facts of your mind, you're a Pharisee or a terrorist when you come to a religion. If you only have a fact of the heart, you're, uh, you're kind of a wishy-washy spiritist. Oh, I have all these feelings. The fact of the heart is love, right? You can't scientifically prove love, but you know if you don't have love, you're a monster, and everyone in the world will look at you as if you're a monster, right? We have to have both of these things. We have to know that Jesus actually came, and we have to know with our heart that he is good and that he is love. Okay, the next thing is you have to decide that the gospel is good. Hopefully, if you're here, this should be kind of an obvious one. I thought it was the most obvious thing when I met Jesus. I'm like, I would be the biggest idiot, the biggest idiot in the world to have met a God who is like this, this Jesus who is so forgiving and so loving. I had to be the biggest idiot to not want to walk with him, right? Until I had a friend who he was raised in a very legalistic church that pushed him away from God. And he, he eventually became my roommate in college. And we stayed up all night because I was coming from an agnostic atheist life. And he was coming from raised in this strict legalism, decided to become atheist. And we almost like, seems like we switched. And so I'm sitting here at this one night, 2 a.m., and we're talking about the Lord. And it gets to this point where he says, you know, maybe God is real. And if he is, it likely is Jesus is him. And so I'm like, yes, like freaking out. Like, he, oh, he's so close. And he went to bed, and I couldn't go to bed. I stayed outside his door praying for him all night long and just had a joy and, like, partying with Jesus. 
the next day I see him on campus and I'm still on cloud nine. Like my friend is going to meet Jesus for real. And he's going to, and he comes up to me. He's like, you know, I've been thinking all day and I decided I don't really care if, if God is real. I don't care if he's Jesus. I want to live my life. how I want to live my life. So sad. He decided the gospel was not good. He decided the gospel is not as good as my own choices in my life. So if you do decide that the gospel is good, we can move on to this next thing. And Jesus says you have to count the cost. You have to count the cost. Luke 14, verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Unless you're going to lay the foundation and not be able to finish it, and all will see you and make fun of you. Right? It seems like a very obvious thing. They will be saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Right? If you're going to do any kind of project, any kind of thing that you know is going to be a massive thing, right? I'm not just going to go, like, I mean, I'm not going to build any towers anytime soon, but say I want to build a house. That sounds like a fun thing to me. I'm like, okay, go to Home Depot. Hey, Daniel, come on, get your truck. Load it up with cement. I, I swipe the credit card, and then we get there. We pour the foundation, and then Dan's like, okay, what are we going to get the rest of the stuff? And I look at my bank account, and it's like, oh, I'm in debt now. This is a very nice concrete slab that I get to live on. And then my wife, Karen, will go sleep with her friends, and she'll visit me during the day, but she'll be very angry because we have a concrete slab. Jesus says, this is what it's like if you do not actually think about what you will have to pay to walk with Jesus, right? We've decided, okay, God is real and he's Jesus. This gospel is good, right? But do I think it's good enough that I'm going to give whatever I must to follow him, right? So let's assume we've done all those things, right? Remember, we are being converted from thinking ourself is the greatest into knowing that Jesus is the greatest. These people who saw this God of the Hebrews and their false gods, like something's different, and they have to be going through this process. This is what we all have to be going through. So the next thing is, after you've decided all that, you've counted the cost, you have to change sides, and Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior. You change sides. So here's the thing about this. Jesus cannot be one or the other. He can only be both. He can only be both. In our culture, we seem to like to have a Savior, but not a Lord, right? Jesus took my sins. That's awesome. That's great. I don't, I don't have to get punished for that. I don't like punishment. It's not fun. It's not nice, right? Oh, but he also has to be my Lord, which means everything he says about my life, I have to take as 100% the truth. That means, and this, I mean, this is what I had to go through. I had one path in life that I was dead set on. I don't want to go into my whole story. You can ask me later if you want. And the Lord came in. He said, hey, Brian, I know you've invested a lot of time and money going down this path. But guess what? I, uh, I'm going to flip that upside down. You're going to go the total opposite way now. And I fought with him for a year. And eventually, I, my, he, he, he just spoke so clearly. He's like, you said when you came to me that I was your Lord. Am I really? <laughs> and so shivering in my boots, I had to go and basically accept how far I had gone down this path and turn around sharply and run back to walk with Jesus. 
If he's not your savior, then he cannot be your Lord because he commands that everyone that would follow him would accept a sacrifice. If he is not your Lord, he cannot be your savior because he is the only way of salvation and only by giving him voluntary rule of your life can he change you. So he has to be both. If you give him one, he's not really your Lord. If you give him the other, he's not really your savior. So he becomes the Lord and Savior of your life, and then he will change your mind. It'll be transformed, right? You've made that mental decision, right? But now your mind will almost, I, I, I like being scientifically correct, but I'm going to not right here. Almost as if he changes the molecular makeup of your brain, right? I can't think how I used to think. Right? Maybe after I became a Christian a year or two later, like, oh, I used to, like, Brian two years ago would have done this. I, I cannot even fathom what I was like. I don't even know how long that was ago. Maybe 12 or 13 years ago now I've been a Christian. I can't even fathom it. I have no idea that that guy, I killed him 13 years ago. He's dead and gone, and I don't remember him. I don't know how, what he would have done in any situation. The things that make sense in life now would have appeared nonsense to me back then. And vice versa. Selfishness being an operating principle of this world is a horrific thought to me. And that was the operating principle that I lived by for most of my life. It doesn't make sense to me now. <laughs> I threw out all my stupid mu music and movies. I was driving in my car one day. And uh, if you heard the music, does anyone know Josh Garrels? He's, he's my favorite musician how would you describe him? Chill. He's like chill. You sit down, you listen to Josh Garrels, and you probably fall asleep because he's just so chill. I only used to listen to heavy metal and screamo. That's not why I'm bald. The Lord decided that I'd be bald. But so I was driving in my car, listening to this heavy metal one day, and then I just realized walking in the presence of Jesus probably doesn't sound like this. And I popped the CD. Yeah, I'm, I'm that old. CDs. I popped it out of the player, and I chunked it out my window. And I got home, and I went, and I looked through all my movies. Like, these movies are crap. They're terrible. These don't glorify the Lord. And I gathered them all up, and I gathered the rest of my CDs, and I threw them in a trash bag, and I went to the dumpster, and I threw them in there and just walked back to my apartment. Now, I wish I had waited, but not, not because I wanted to hold on to them, but because the next week at Kyle we do these things called burn parties where you take everything – that you have not surrendered to the Lord, that Satan has rule over your life, and we, we have these big 50-gallon drums full of this white-hot fire, and you throw it in there, and you say, this stuff can burn in hell with Satan. It has no more power over my life. I threw it all away, right? I, I looked at these things, and I said, the, the people that I'm listening to, they don't, they don't worship Jesus. So the things they're saying aren't going to lead me closer to Jesus. So, so get out of my life. I don't want you right? Jesus transformed my mind. So then next, we have to allow God to give us a new heart, right? A new heart, a new spirit. He says his Holy Spirit will come into us. He will, he's changed our mind. He will change our being even deeper. So in Galatians 5, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Right? So he's changed our mind. He's changed our heart and our spirit. And this is what it says. This is what we will start to look like. Where you didn't have patience, you'll have patience. Right? Where you didn't have self-control, you'll have it. When, when you, I, I could definitely say I did not have goodness. And the humble part of me doesn't want to say it now, but I think, I, I hope I have some goodness. Wife, do I have some goodness in me? Put her on the spot. Uh-oh. All right. I take it back. Followers of Jesus have to consider, them, consider others before themselves and love people, the people of the world, as Christ has loved us. I, I can confidently say I did not have that before I met Jesus, right? He's come through. I decided I'll follow him, right? And I had to let him change me. So then here's the last thing that you have to do, and we'll walk through the steps of this. You have to never return. Never return. True converts are motivated by love, not threat and bribe, right? If, if these people that were leaving Egypt saw the fire and their their only motivation was i don't want to get burned by the fire right that's a good motivation for something it's a good starting place at least if you if you do want to get burned by the fire again you have issues in first john uh chapter 4 18 there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment but he who fears has not been made perfect in love if we say we want to walk with Jesus because we really are just afraid of hell, then you don't love Jesus. You don't love him. Perfect love casts out all fear. I, now, if you're just starting to walk with him and you're thinking about things, don't worry. right? If you just keep your eyes on him, all this will fade away. I have not thought about going to heaven or hell in years. It's not a thought of mine. All I think about is I love Jesus and I want to be with him forever. Right, And we say this, this might not be theologically correct, but if Jesus decided to hop up out of his chair in heaven and be like, you know what, I kind of want to go live in hell now. And he would go down to hell, the roles would switch, and hell would then become heaven because he is there. Heaven is where Jesus is. Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. If he is in this desert, that is where I want to be. If you are afraid, you are like the fearful servant in the parable of the talents. He thought of his master as a cruel man, so he did what he thought would be safe, the bare minimum way to get by. And in the end, he was rebuked and cast out. He did not love his master. He said, my master is cruel. He's a harsh man. So I'm going to, I don't care about him and his. I'm going to care about mine. And he, he hid his talents in the dirt because he thought it'd be safe. Jesus says, those who love me love my commands right? We're not afraid. We love him. A true convert is a new creation, right? So he's given you a new mind. He's given you spirit. So it kind of goes into your whole being is now new. So much so that Jesus looks at you as if you're a whole different person. You are a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter five says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that was Chapter 5, verse 17, we're going to skip to chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
that sounds kind of crazy, right? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He's talking to us. So I'm just going to go out and say this. Remember, uh, read, read the Bible for yourself, but I'm going to tell you what I've learned and what I believe to be true. Um, it's getting a little more theological, so I'll just touch into it for really quick. I hear Romans 7 quoted a lot. If you don't know what Romans 7 is, it's Paul, and he's talking in the present tense, but he's talking about himself before he met Jesus. So he's saying things like, what my body wants to do, I just do it, right? The things that I don't want to do, I do. I can't help it, right? But everything we just read contradicts that, right? It says when the Spirit comes in you, you have that self-control. You have that patience. So don't read Romans 7 unless you go on to Romans 8, where he says, thank God Jesus can change me, right? Thank God. Who, who can help me? This is how I was, though. But it, it can be confusing because he's speaks in the present tense but if you read romans 7 and romans 8 together they're very contradictory because he says now i look like this i'm just touching into that because i think it's important um because we all know that political quotes can be taken out of context and every politician every anyone on tv can be made to look like a fool right how much worse to do that with god's book who's meant to lead us to holiness jesus doesn't give us license to sin right he says you can be holy. So here's the last thing. Being converted means you trust in God's character more than yourself or your circumstances. Can anyone here look at themselves and, and no raise of hands, but honestly think, do you think you're a good person? Me and myself, am I a good person? Jesus says none is good but God, right? So if we've gone through this path, I believe he will make you perfect. He's making us perfect, right? But we look at the rich young ruler who came and said to Jesus, how do I gain eternal life? Good teacher. Jesus says, none is good but God. So am I really God? Is that what you're saying? Then you better obey me. You better say that I'm Lord. Jesus says that he saves from sin, right? When we talk about salvation, I always used to think, and I think our culture likes to think that it means Jesus saves from hell. Again, that means that we are making Jesus a way out of something we fear. Jesus says, I will save you from your sin. Isn't that beautiful? Your sin is a prison. Your sin is a prison, and he will save you from that. If we let him come in and renew our minds, give us that new spirit, that new heart, right? Being saved out of hell is more a consequence of being saved from sin. Is that scary? When Jesus looks at us, he says, go and sin no more. Does he mean it? Or is he giving us an impossible command, which I believe would be cruel? And I don't think Jesus is cruel. It might be hard, but he says that with him we can do this. First Peter 2 says of Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. So here's the thing. We're talking about these, these Hebrews going through the desert. It does not take 40 years to walk through this desert, right? We said it takes about a month. They spent 40 years going through this desert. It should have only taken a month. It took them 40 years because they, have, they were all false converts. They all said, well, walk out into the desert with you. But they were all holding something back from God. 
And God said, none of you are getting into the promised land. Your children will. The only two that made it were Joshua and Caleb, because they were the only two that actually trusted God with everything. So I'm going to do something. This might, I hope it doesn't make you angry, but I'm just going to read a very hard thing to read. And this is what God says is true. And if, if these things make you angry, then maybe it's not God that, that you love. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are, are male prostitutes or practice homosexual, homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or are drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were like that once. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right by God, by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. If we say those things are acceptable, then we are going against God. Any of those things on that list? Scariest verse in the Bible, Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It seems to be that Jesus says whoever loves him will be hated by the world because he was hated by the world. And I've seen that to be true. Um, we don't ever wish this upon any of you, but just when you right, we say an overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. That's from the Bible. You will be speaking about Jesus. I have been spit at for speaking about Jesus. And thank God that is the least that has happened. We've been insulted. We've been spit at. Um, we've had friends that have been punched in the face for talking about Jesus with people because they love them. The world will hate us. And honestly, we should hate the world because the world goes against Jesus. That's why I said, I loved the world. I was the world. And I met this Jesus and I killed my old self. I said, I'm so wicked and, and ugly. I want to walk with this Jesus. I have to kill this other guy so Jesus can come live in me. And that's what baptism is. It's symbolic putting yourself in the grave and Jesus raising you again. If you're here tonight and you realize that maybe you're not a true convert of Jesus um, and you might be scared, well, it's actually good news because now you know and now you can give your life freely to him. And I just love this. In Psalm 86, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Can we have the band come back up? But you, Lord, are full a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Um, I have found this to be true. And I believe anyone who's walked with Jesus for any, any real amount of time will say this is true. A difficult life of truth and love with God is worth traveling through an endless desert. It absolutely is, right? If Jesus went to hell, then that's where I'm going to because I'm following him. But soon enough, right, if that's how it looks on the edge of the desert, soon enough you actually find that it was never a desert, but it was really a valley of life and peace because, again, that's where Jesus is. When we look at all these things, when we see who Jesus says he is, when he says what we must do to follow him, do we really want to follow him? Do we want to start the journey 
and then find out we didn't have enough money to pay the way, right? Or do I want to make it all the way? Do I want to be on my deathbed saying, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful life? It hasn't always been easy, but it's been with you, and the rest of my eternity will be with you. We have to be ready to give up everything, guys, the things that we hold on to, the things that we want to claim are still mine. If, if Jesus hates it, then we're still nailing him to the cross, and we're still making him bleed. We don't do that to those that we love. So we're gonna can use your seat as an altar. If you if you're realizing that you need to give something to Jesus, if you realize you haven't made him your savior, if you haven't made him your Lord, if you realize that you've been saying these things that he says are good and true, but you don't believe that they're all good and true. If you if you realize that life looks like a desert because you haven't seen his beauty, you haven't let him transform your mind. You don't have that fruit of the spirit that says that his spirit is living in you. We're going to ask him tonight. You can, you can talk to your small group leader, whoever brought you here. Um, we believe that praying over each other works. Do it wisely, obviously. Um, let's just spend some time with Jesus. We just want to love him. And whatever it looks like, I want to walk with him forever. Amen.